Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of the Coruscant Pulse. This is episode number 54. It is January 8th, 2017. We are exactly 341 days away from episode 8, still untitled. Coming out with me as always is James and David. Hello everybody, how's it going? Hello. Yeah, so we, uh, did we get any uh, fan mail or anything? Nothing recently. Well, we got to get more controversial. That's what that means. So let's do that today. Now, David was apprehensive about talking about the characters and what was good and bad. I couldn't help but notice I'm on some Facebook groups for Star Wars and I follow some YouTube channels that review uh, Star Wars stuff. And uh, people have been saying they haven't enjoyed it, have been getting a lot of flack. I know I've been bringing it up. I've uh, praised them before. Is that Red Letter Media? I don't know if you two guys have ever checked them out. Honestly, I can't stand the guy's attitude. I understand. Yeah, they they trash the prequels pretty hard, and uh, they. Uh, I, I think my problem with them is I haven't seen anything that they haven't trashed, and it's just like, oh, you just seem like miserable fucks. They're not just contrarian. They bring up good points. However, even they said Rogue One was not good, and uh, they made fun of it pretty heavily. To which they got a lot of backlash, and they've they've made like four videos now making fun of well people like us and uh, other. Uh, pro rogue one people and uh yeah th- their fans uh really uh came after them and uh, or just random internet people you know now they're just kind of they're fighting the comment section on youtube which they uh that's where they make their bread and butter but uh i don't know if i would ever do that because you're just fighting the masses of trolls out there it's that's never gonna end but uh, they did they did bring up some good points and we had a couple friends bring up some good points and that was some of the characters in rogue one and uh is rogue one uh a bad film now we could go through and dissect each character, but I think, you know, just talking about some strong points and some weak points of the film, we've talked about why we liked it the past episode since we've seen it. We've, we've kind of glanced over some things we didn't like about it. I think me and David kind of, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, David, but, you know, I gave it a C. It was it was a passable film. It wasn't the greatest, but it definitely wasn't the worst, and, you know, James loved it. How would you guys rate Rogue One? Uh, if we're doing a letter scale, I'd probably rate it, I think I gave Force Awakens a B plus. so I'd probably give this one an A minus okay granted at this point i'd probably tone back my force awakens one to like a c plus or b yeah me i i myself have toned back my love of force awakens i really think this is my favorite star wars film until the next one comes out no this (laughs) this this is a star wars war movie and i love war movies and star wars so i mean it, it it can't get much better and that was One of the points Red Letter Media brought up, and it was a fair point, I thought, was that this was a really bleak war movie. The characters weren't really likable. They didn't really have a lot of redeeming qualities. And it wasn't really a space adventure movie, that this was really just fan service for fans of our age and our age group and demographic. Well, boo-hoo to them. And a part of me agrees with you on that, you know, how, oh, how dare they, people make a fan for fans of a certain genre, you know, there are uh, Star Trek movies, there are comic book movies up the Yazoo, uh, and those are for those fans and fans of those cinematic universes. And, you know, that's, uh, that's a valid point. And really at the end of the day, though, you know, who's it really hurting? I was running into the problem of like, well, you know, th- this isn't really a Star Wars. I mean, it is a Star Wars movie, but this is more of a war movie. And on that scale, I've seen a lot better. I've seen a lot worse. It did miss some beats, but uh, I think comparing it to A New Hope is difficult because it leads directly into that film. It's kind of like, 
it's unfair to do that, but we kind of have to because this is an exact prequel to that film. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say this much. One thing that's really, I found really interesting is the fact that, you know, they did make it so that there are two very different style of movies that flow right into each other. I'm trying to think about like other movie series and sagas that I've seen about how where the sequel or the prequel to the film is, even though it's in the same universe, is a drastically different film than the first one. And I'm not really coming up with anything. Can you guys think of any? No, I can't. And like this, I mean, this movie too, we're in the age of the cinematic universe. You know, we have the DC cinematic universe. It is what that is. The Marvel cinematic universe, which I argue is probably the best. And then Star Wars probably falls in the middle somewhere. You could argue lower, depending. But this is, with a cinematic universe, you're going to get movies that are different. You know, I was thinking Captain America, uh, the second one, The Winter Soldier, that was like a spy movie, where the third one was, you had a duality. You had a line being drawn in the sand, and you had people, friends, you had infighting, and I, I thought that was a well-done film. I don't know why Hawkeye was in it, but I felt, you know, okay, this there's something, there's a story to be told here. The first one, uh, the Captain America, you know, that was war movie, the origin story of a superhero, you know, all that. But there were different types of movies, and that's what this is. I mean, Rogue One really is a war movie, and we've never really seen a Star Wars war movie. This is like it's in its own subgenre of the genre, you know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. And I think that, for me, was one of the reasons why that specific criticism of it didn't feel like a Star Wars story kind of falls flat for me, because my definition of a Star Wars story is really just something that takes place in the Star Wars universe. And part of that's just because, you know, like you and James, I grew up reading the expanded universe as well, reading a bunch of novels, and those the stories contained in those books are very unlike the three movies that we see on film. Film. And so because of that, like, my head's never been like, oh no, a Star Wars movie must have these elements and must be created in this specific arc. It's just been like, no, this is a story that's set in the Star Wars universe, and I am game to watch it be be filmed now instead of just written. Oh yeah, and these guys, too, they come from my span standpoint of, I ain't reading any of the books, I ain't reading the comic books, ain't a fan of that, I'm just watching the movies. I can also respect that. I can see their point of view. However, I disagree. Now, they said The Force Awakens was a decent film. And, you know, it was comparable. How I feel pretty much for Rogue One, to which I disagree with them. They said none of the characters in Rogue One were likable. That, you, you know, you didn't really feel the same type of uh, connection to them as you did Luke Han or Leia or even C-3PO or R2-D2 or obi-wan in the original trilogy and that we were kind of clustered or we had a over overcrowding of villains in rogue one you know we had krennic we had tarkin we had vader and maybe some of it i'm not gonna lie there's a little bit of fan service in rogue one i really wish they would scale that back in all the movies but they continue to do it but overall i mean in comparison to the original trilogy especially the film it's really closely associated with yeah i mean the original trilogy that's that's a better film and rogue one is very far apart from that uh however is it is it a bad movie you know i could see where people are you i mean it really comes down to taste and your opinion in my opinion it's all right. It's not uh, not the greatest, and certainly, man, I've seen some bad war movies, you know, like Pearl Harbor, where they just, they, uh, they miss the mark, big time. But a good way to highlight this further is through the characters. One of the biggest arguments is, is that all the characters are kind of just too dark. They're 
anti-heroes. They're not likable. And we had, I did hear one listener complaint through James that uh, we didn't talk a little about Jyn Erso, so maybe we could do that now. So just as like a, a little test, I don't know, can you guys describe Jyn Erso to me? How, from what you saw in the film, just the film, what would you say is her most driving characteristic or defining characteristic? Uh, I'd probably say defiance. It's either defiance or or family. It's one of the two for me. Okay. How about you, James? I mean, I could definitely see defiance. I also definitely think that she's got a a um a fire. You know, her defying characteristic is she's willing to fight for what something that she believes in, whatever that may be. It may be fighting for the belief that her father's a traitor or fighting for the belief that the rebels saw, who cares about the rebels whatever that is she has like a fire that and the book kind of gives that feel too that like she has a innate fire about her that allows her to fight how about you tom oh yeah i could see she's a bit selfish she doesn't really trust anyone uh she's got some abandonment issues and she's angry more so than anything. So you think her defined characteristic then is anger? Anger and just that feeling of being alone and abandoned. That's how I feel. And in that, yeah, she she becomes, she's angry. You know, I, I feel that. And if you think about, like, the characteristics I listed and you guys listed, you know, I don't know if those are the most likable qualities in a lead of a space action movie. You know what I mean? I can sort of understand that, but then it's also kind of not at all. Because, like, okay, like, I went into this expecting, you know, because they told us it was going to be a war movie, that it was going to be unlike any other Star Wars. So I was kind of expecting her to be a darker character, especially from the get-go. Like, the most off-tone thing I felt that Jyn Erso did in that entire movie was the uplifting speech in front of the Rebel Council. Yeah. Like... Aside from that, she was who I thought she was, and I was still rooting for her in her corner. And, uh, you know, I agree with you on that. You know, everything that they told us this movie was going to be, it was. It wasn't anything more than that, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm a big fan. We read a bunch of articles about it beforehand, interviews, yada yada. We have this type of viewpoint. However, to be the devil's advocate, those qualities are... Not as easy to identify with as, let's say, someone like Luke Skywalker, who we see is kind of beaten down, wants to get away, hates living at home, wants to be something, wants to make something of his life, is constantly thinking about what he could be and what life could be away from this boring life he's living and is kind of trapped until this adventure starts. And we see that. We see that in multiple ways in the beginning of the movie. You know, he asks, he's talking about leaving early to the academy. He's looking longingly out into the sunset. You know, all of his friends are gone. He hates doing random chores around the house. You know, his uncle's down talking to him. We have all these different representations. Whereas with Jin, we get like one or two things explaining her characteristics. I think they needed to build her more because she was the lead and make that apparent. I think if we, if I all asked you guys, who is Han Solo? Granted, we've seen three movies of him four actually, you guys would give me a better representation of that characters i think all of the characteristics we would define would be more the same as opposed to with Jin, we gave we had some you know some differences between them see i think the thing the thing is i don't feel like there was a lead in this movie like Jin is the main character we watch but it's kind of an ensemble movie you 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 
you have Finn and Cassian and to a degree K2 is like your main, main leads. But you also have Krennic as a lead. You have, I mean, I did not feel that Jin was the lead of the movie. And that was fine. She was just the the vessel for the story, not the actual lead character. See, I don't know. I, I'd say she was, for her, you have to have a solid main character in this, even in an ensemble. I mean, this though this had a, a big cast, I wouldn't really call this a, a huge ensemble movie. When I think of like an ensemble film, uh, there's this, like I said, a terrible war movie called Bridge Too Far, which has every actor you can think of for the time it was made. I think it was the early 80s in it. Every British and good, every good British and American actor that was around at the time was in that movie for the most part. It's got a huge cast, like Sean Connery's in it, Robert Redford, even uh, Michael Caine. Yeah, it's a huge cast. Yeah, it's a ridiculous cast. Even the German guys, you know, they have uh, famous German actors uh, from the 50s and 60s. I mean, it's a huge cast. Uh, another old war movie, The Longest Day, has a lot of actors in it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's got, like, John Wayne, Sean Connery, again. Robert Mitchum. Yeah, it's got everyone in it. Those but are they've ensemble. got, like, a specific main character, though, right? Not as much. No. Because they're, they're an ensemble cast. Like, the story kind of focuses around this event through a bunch of different people's eyes. Mm-hmm. And, and you think the film would have been better suited that way? I'm thinking they should have really Made focused, it a more traditional one? Made it more traditional. Still had this group she was with, because we've seen that before in Star Wars movies. It was This was just a bit bigger, instead of it being three people and a droid and, you know, Chewbacca. You know, it's how many people? Five? Six? Yeah, it's like five or six. Maybe more than that, too, because you really do get the villain point of view in this thing, too. You do, but you you do in the other uh, movies as well. But I think they needed to flesh out Jin more, have her have a to where the audience knows exactly why she's doing what she's doing. Because at first, she doesn't care about the Empire. She doesn't care about all the bad things. She doesn't want to be a freedom fighter. She's just, she just keeps getting arrested. You know, that's kind of odd. She doesn't want to be a freedom fighter, but she's always on Imperial prison planets. And she's got a rap sheet that's real long. Why? They needed to flush that out, I think, a bit more. And maybe not have had her as such an outsider to the rebellion as she was. Alright, so I guess for me, I've got two questions here. One, okay, so they flesh out her time on Lake Wodan. What does that add to the story? It adds... Why is, 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 it, is it literally just adding depth to her character? Yes, it's adding why is she there? Why is she doing the things that she does? You know, we're learning more about her. We're learning about the decisions she made. Tell us about who she is and why. We get that. We do get that. But it's just a, it's a minute bit. And there's only, and it's quick. And they really needed to flesh it out. You think like with Luke. Like they really fleshed out who he was before the adventure. And in the beginning of his adventure, you really see his motivations for him and you really identify with that character now i'm not saying they have to have the same things however they just needed to flush that out a bit more i think maybe one of the things i'm running into a problem here is you know the definition of what what does fleshing out a character mean so and and i'm sorry for putting this on you but it's like what what could they have given you specifically like make up a story for Jin and and assume that that was the case and and how would how do you present that present what it sounds like you're talking about because you're saying it's only going to be a couple of seconds like in my head when you're fleshing out a character it's going to take like a half hour sequence which means that you're cutting significant chunks of the rest of the story out 
that's part of filmmaking. It's a good balancing act. It's, you know, that's something that could be done too in the editing room. And maybe it wasn't edited correctly. We do know that there were extensive reshoots towards the end of this film. We have conflicting rumors that they reshot the ending and the beginning. And, you know, we don't know what they did. We'll know in like 20 years when Gareth Edwards doesn't care anymore. And he says, yeah, they came in and just, you know, uh, ran, uh, ran wild and, you know, took me away from the set and yada. You know, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Uh, there's no way to find out. But building up who that character is, you know, show her working on a mining camp, having the guard or warden come up to her and talking about, you know, uh, oh, you were, you know, stealing medical supplies to save people. You know, she was there for some minor infraction. You know, little some little story. I don't know what it could be. However, you want her to appear in the rest of the film. As opposed to what we got of her in the rebellion base? Yeah, which was just them running a rap sheet for no reason. You know, we don't know really what she's doing. And then the next scene, she's saying, I don't really care if the Empire's in charge. You know, I'm not going to fight them. When we see her openly, you know, she's got a rap sheet a mile long. And then was that with her time when she was with Saw? But then he abandoned her when she was 16. How old is she? You know, how long has she been on her own? And why is she still rebelling if she doesn't care? You see where there's the disconnect? With Luke Skywalker, you don't get that. Not really, just because it's like she she's been living on the fringes, like out of sight. Her the fact that she's living illegally under an assumed name, like I mean, she's gonna be involved in like illicit activity. It's not necessarily that she's part of the rebellion. Is she though, or is she gonna go to ground? You know, is she gonna be like a Jason Bourne, where she's living under an assumed name and she's vanishing? But she hasn't vanished. She's under arrest. No, for... no, she she vanished, and and then she got caught. Because you'll note that the Jason Bourne movies are basically Jason Bourne breaking laws all the fucking time. Yeah, but he just doesn't get caught. <laughs> she gets caught, but what law did she break? Because she got caught. I guess it was something against the Empire, but if she doesn't care about the Empire, why is she then breaking... I think she tried to run. Why? You get what I'm saying? Well, it's it's also one of those things where it's just like, you know, you... So, let let me give you a story about what, what happened to Jin. So, Jin was on Wotan, she was going to ground, Empire was coming around doing ID checks, because it's a thing that we know that the Empire does. Jin sees them, Jin gets spooked, Jin tries to run. Jin gets stunned, Jin gets incarcerated for resisting arrest. That doesn't add a whole lot to the story. <laughs> no, but you could put something in there that does add a, a bit to the story, and you could show that. They didn't show us that in the film, we just saw her in the transport with no explanation to what. For, like, what her charge was there? What her charge was and why. She could have been taking medical supplies and saving people. She could have been, you know, stealing bread for or orphans. Whatever, you know, it could have added something to her character uh, to where she didn't really want to fight the empire at large but she liked helping people or you know it could have it was a missed opportunity i felt where they could have added to her now what we do get in the scene is that she's not the biggest fan of the empire uh she's not exactly in the rebellion and uh th is that all we need yeah you know you could argue yeah that's all you need i feel though if you want to have a stronger connection to that character you could add more to that and it'd take roughly the same amount of time, depending on how you edit, you shoot, you plan it out. I just, me personally, it doesn't, wouldn't have added anything for me, you know? I, I, I hear what you're saying, and, I, and you're not wrong. It probably would have fleshed her character out better for some people. 
for me, it wouldn't have added to the story because the story wasn't about Jin. The story was getting the Death Star plans. Jin was the vessel. But if you care more about that character, it will help bring you into the story more. Granted, people like the three of us don't really need that. However, this is a lot what I'm getting from the general audience and people who are bringing up good points. So I'm like, Do you know what? For me, I understand the story and it was quick, some of the character development for some of the characters, but I felt like it worked. Now, it could always been better. And this is one of those things where, yeah, I'll, I'll give them that. They could have really flushed her out more. And in my opinion, yeah, it could have, it could have needed, you know, it could have been a better film f f if they had done that. Now, someone like Cassie and Andor, Cassie and Andor is like Han Solo. We see he's in the Rebellion, and we see what levels, with his character's introduction, he's willing to go to for the Rebellion. He kills someone who's on his side. He is, he does not mess around. Same thing with Han Solo. He shoots first. He is not going to be taken captive. We don't need much more than that. You know, that's a pretty defining, that's, that's a big old period at the end of his character's description. We don't need a whole lot more. And then we see him feeling guilty for that later on. We also see him shoot one of the rebels on uh, Jeddah. And we know, okay, he doesn't play around. He's very serious about the rebellion. He's a good anti-hero you know, his motivations, and then we find out he's been doing it since he was six. I think he's fleshed out fine. I think Cassian Andor's fine. I mean, we don't have that much more of Cassian Andor than we do for Jin. And that's that's the problem. We need, I think we need more for Jin, more so than just her relationship with her father, but more so explaining her current motivations at the beginning of the film and how they set because she has a change. She doesn't care, and then she does care. And we need to see why she doesn't care, and then more so we needed a I think how what eventually turns her around, maybe they could have played with that differently as well. Yeah, I guess it really depends how you felt about Galen Urso. Because the thing is, for me, like, I kind of, like, yeah, it, the introduction to her, like, why she was the way she was, wasn't really super well fleshed out. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that much. I also didn't think it was super important. Like, I understood why she was doing what she was doing. She wanted, she, she did not want to be dragged into this. She wanted to 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 hide into the shadows. She wanted to disappear. That's the whole reason why she went with the rebellion. They offered her what she wanted, which was the ability to duck back into the shadows, underneath a new identity, fresh start. And yeah, I and I agree. And what changes her specifically? What changes her and her whole thing? The thing that like pivots her world around is the message from her father and the fact that. Everything that she thought she knew about both Galen Urso and about her relationship with him and what she meant to him was a lie. And she found out that, one, her father really did care for her. Two, that, you know, he, had, he, he was constantly thinking of her and trying to save her in some way. And that's, you know, that's one of the things where she, that specific event incites her turnaround and changes her from this selfish character who does not want to get involved to someone who very much is looking to specifically get involved and to take action in order to both stop the empire and to try to save her father yeah and i, and I feel that and that's how i felt in seeing that my problem is is that and this is the point i brought up in last episode too with the death star plans they're doing that in order to explain the death star's easy destruction in episode in a new hope you know what i mean they're they're trying to backpedal and retcon in some story which was interesting and it didn't seem far-fetched i'm not knocking that but 
when you're going this route, you know, Galen then becomes the MacGuffin for bringing in her back. So now that this is a story they chose, would I have chose the story originally? Do you want, I don't know. I would have went with the uh, old Operation Skyhook, Kyle Katarn, some changed uh, abridged version of that. Yeah, I'm just wondering how you abridge that because yeah. like th- that Operation Skyhook is like, a six movie like thing yeah that, or if not a miniseries but uh you know this is the movie we got this is the direction they chose fine and a part of me too here is being a devil's advocate i think they could have set her up better i think her turn was good but it th- and it all made sense but because her disconnect to me didn't feel like it was set up properly that you don't when she does do that flip it loses some of its impact it's more of just okay now she cares now action begins at end of film as opposed to being emotionally connected and being like you know what i would feel the same way hell yeah at this point i would do it you know and uh, that's how i felt watching the movie you know it was just okay now she cares now as opposed to me getting really engaged into the film i mean it works in rogue one it works could it have been better yeah. I mean, it works in Rogue One because we're Star Wars fans. I feel like the main critique is coming from mostly, not all, but mostly not Star Wars fans. This is, and that was one of the things, is that this was a movie for the fanboys, for the neckbeards, for the people like us. And might I add, there is no beard on my neck. But uh, these are valid points. And you think that if I were making a film, I would want to make one both for the fans and for general audiences and new fans and make it more of a wide-ranging experience, less less exclusive, more inclusive. Maybe, but if you look at uh, let's look at a different universe. Look at look at Marvel and DC. DC movies that were all made, they apparently I ain't watch any of them because I've heard they were garbage. Um, Suicide Squad and Batman versus Superman. But then you have Deadpool. Deadpool was total fan service to people who like Deadpool. There was nothing. They didn't try to make it a general audience movie. It was a hardcore Deadpool movie. And that movie kicked ass. And they made a boatload of money on him. They're going to make a boatload of money on Rogue One. And it was just fan service. But it was good fan service. I don't care necessarily about the general audience. I care about good Star Wars movies. Good Star Wars movies and general audience may not be one and the same. Yeah, and I, part of me agrees with you, and part of me, I understand where the general audience might get upset. And Oh, I understand. I just don't care. <laughs> I get you. I get you. And that's, hey, do you know what? Uh, we've been disappointed enough with these Star Wars movies. We've had, I mean, I've now had four. This is the first Star Wars movie I went into in a theater, and I walked out of them like, you know what? That was all right. I would recommend this to people as opposed to episodes one, two, three, and episode seven, where I was like, oh, man, these are not good. Or by the time I got to or Applebee's with episode seven, David. I know I got to clarify that. Yep. Because you were just like, oh, it was good. And, and then it was just like, you know, there, there was a three minute drive and it's just like, it was okay. And then it was six minutes with Bill. And then it was just like, that movie sucked. <laughs> and I got to watch it all drain from your eyes too. That was, that was interesting. Yeah. Not even the uh, hot wings could cheer me up, but, uh... <laughs> but you know, if we're talking about characters though, like I really, I don't think, like, if anything, I almost wish that Jin had even been in some ways less likable because I didn't I didn't need to like her. Like, I, I didn't need to want to befriend her or to put myself in her shoes or anything like that because she, she is a hard woman. And I think 
I would have appreciated her turn and her her lead kind of being done a little bit differently. I don't think it was bad, but that that's where I think the weakness of Jin's character is. And that is that, like, the turn is so sharp that it feels in some ways like you lose who she was before that turn. There's a movie uh, it came out, I want to say, 15 years ago. I think it was a Terrence Malick movie, Thin Red Line, and it's a remake of an older film. And it's about World War II, Guadalcanal, and soldiers fighting on Guadalcanal, which was hellish. And they go too much into the characters. You know, it's it's a big ensemble movie. I hated that movie. It's too melodramatic. You know, they you learn too much about some of the characters, not enough about others, and it's it's just melodrama. Some people praise it as screen time, you know, as like a genius film. Other people, like me and James, it's a bit too overly dramatic, and it's a bit, I think, what Spielberg did with his miniseries on, uh, and Tom Hanks with uh, The Pacific and, uh, what was he on, Band of Brothers, were much better examples of uh, the guys doing that in that time period, and better war movies, even though they were miniseries. But uh, this, as a war movie, maybe you don't want to feel too attached to the characters. I've seen war movies like that, where they kind of make them unlikable, that you kind of have this disconnect, because at the end of the movie, they're all going to die. And there have been war movies that have been made like that, where you kind of don't get to know them too well. You just see them in this combat situation, and you don't, they don't really flesh out their home life. You don't know who's married, you know. And there have been movies, that, well, a lot of war movies I've seen that have been like that, how, and then there's other war movies where you really get to know each of the characters and that when one of them dies, it's, ooh, is it gut-wrenching? One that comes to mind is like Saving Private Ryan, something that we've all seen. You get to know all the guys in the squad for the most part. Or after they die, we learn a piece of information that really humanizes them and you really feel for it when you see it. When someone dies, it's it's not just, ooh, look at the look at them shooting at each other, this is fun. No, this, this was based off of a real event where, though this character is fictional, this... Something like this similar undoubtedly happened, and it's just, it's heart-wrenching. And maybe they didn't want people coming out of a Star Wars movie feeling like that, and I could understand why they kind of toned back the, the, the identifying with these characters and uh, making them really friendly and available to the audiences in a way that when you, you know, around Christmas time, you don't want to come out of a, a movie in tears. For me personally, I, I definitely felt every death except for Boz. Uh, in this movie, I honestly felt every single death except for Boz. Every other one of them made sense to me. Yeah, the ending, it, it was a fun action scene. Their demises uh, could have been better, I think, in some areas. But uh, again, that's like a tonal thing. Uh, I think really the only other character, too, we're, we talked about Jen for a good amount. I think Cassian's fine. Baze is fine because he's with Cheer It. And whatever Chirrut does, you know, you just know that that's his compatriot and he's going to go wherever. But I think Chirrut is the other weak link there. We don't, we get a little explanation of why he's following her, but it, it's a, it's, it's weak and it's a little soft. Yeah, I, I, I'll buy that. I do have a question, you know, and maybe James, you can illuminate a little bit off of the books, but, you know, to me in the end, you know, he started following Jin because, you know, he was kind of just curious about her then it became a you know I, i'm wondering did it ever turn from curiosity to uh vengeance in terms of you know because we do have that scene where where chirrut's trying to ask bays like what happened is it gone and then bays basically like snapping and telling him yes yes it's all gone they're all dead and 
part of me wonders if, you know, if that changes things and switches things over for for Chirrut specifically, where it moves on from a, you know, where it moves on from, a, you know, hey, we are, we're doing this for Jin to, hey, we're doing this to strike back against the Empire. No, you never really got that feel that it was doing it to strike back against the Empire. It was always like, we're doing it either for Jin or for um, kind of just like because it's the right thing to do. I got a lot of the force was kind of moving through him type thing, in the even in the book. It was weak. I like what they did with the character, but I could kind of see too where it's like, who is this character? He is Mystic, mystic Far Eastern Chinese Zen guy. That's kind of a stereotype and has been done before. <laughs> did Star Wars need that, though? Hell yeah. Did he add a lot to the EU in a good way? I think he did. However, I don't feel like he was executed correctly. And with him, you get Bays. You don't even need to talk about Bays because, like I said, you have one with the other. Just like we really yeah. don't need to talk about K2SO being there. However, I think they kind of overused K2SO with him being too with the quips. They could have calmed that down. I'm not a fan of the quips either. But uh, again, they were doing something different, polar opposite from C3PO. Okay, fine. Was it terrible? Was it Jar Jar Banks? No. Was it great? It wasn't great either, but it was all right. I don't know. I really enjoyed him. In terms of like a comedic character in a Star Wars film, I think he's so far my favorite by far. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Dave on that. Yeah. And not only that, but I think the other thing that really... Because you know, if there's anything that solidifies K2SO in my head, it's really um his death scene. Where he's cracking wise for most of the film, basically. And then he gets serious... Uh, at the very end and then he dies and that was th that i think is the reason why his death was was very impactful because it's just like oh you know hey it's jokey joke time you know k2so's on the screen and then and then it, it's this tragic death scene <laughs> that for me like was you know it, in many ways like finished fleshing out that character all at once where it's just like no you know he he does that because he can but you know he's not incapable of of taking things seriously which i think might have been one of the issues with jar jar binks you know jar jar binks had one note that he goes throughout the entire way k2so very much also like focuses on maybe two notes where he's just sarcastic and he has his quips but then at the very end, like he he is not being quippy. He's being sincere and honest. And that was a different note that I think made that character succeed for me. Without without his death being like that, I think I might be on the same page as you, Tom. But, you know, because of the way that he died and because of, you know, what he does and his reactions to his own death, like it it changed for me. Quite a bit. His death for me was a big disconnect because the whole movie, he's very uncompassionate towards them. You know, he doesn't pick up her bag. He doesn't shelter anything from the truth. You know, he doesn't have a filter. He speaks very directly and honestly. He does not lie. He's, you know, his, how he feels is on his sleeve. However, at the end fight scene, he doesn't say, do you know what? I'm about to die. He's lying to them protecting them everything's fine i'm locking the door when his situation is dire and he's about to be destroyed and i thought it was really odd to see him do that at that point it was just he did uh, he did a complete 180 
where he was this one way throughout the whole movie then for no reason he is a completely compassionate to the point where he's like you know parts of his body are falling apart and he's not even bringing it up to them while he's still in contact with them and trying to save them as long as he can it just it felt really odd he had this switch and they didn't explain that switch it just happened you think that's a switch i think that's the thing he was always doing because when you when you really look at it it's like at no point do do his quips like imperil them or do they come in super serious situations where you know it's it's life or death really they could have played with that better they could have had him didn't he, he was all but an asshole to them verbally you know and how he talked throughout the whole movie they should have played with that he really did care about him and her or about Cassian, or develop that relationship. Because when that happened, I didn't feel that way at all. And it, they should have made that, like I said with Jin, made that more apparent at the beginning, and hinted at it all the while, in a more clearer way than they did. I don't know, like, I always got that he definitely cared about Cassian a lot. You know, and Jin, you know, as you go through the movie, yeah, you know, he, he starts off specifically not liking Jin. But, like, it's one of those other things where, like, K2SO, after everyone leaves the Ewing, he just looks back at the console and it's just like, if the captain comes back, we're just leaving without them. And Cassian kind of treats him like a piece of shit, too. He's like, oh, you know, his brain is uh, all messed up from when he re-reprogrammed him. Not like, this is my friend, this is how he talks. Get used to it. But you you also get that, you know, it it's one of those things where, yes... The relationship might not be fully fleshed out on screen, like in terms of like you don't see like Cassian and K2SO hanging out or anything like that in in a non like confrontational setting where tensions are high. But what you what you really do see is in that last moments, you know, when K2SO dies, you know, like you you look at Cassian's face and you it is clear that Cassian has now lost a friend and a close friend at that. And it's it I guess for me it's just like, you know, hey, you know, he is you know, that death scene is yeah, you don't see it before then because that's something that they keep hidden. It's something that they don't admit to themselves maybe. But then, at the end, you see the quality of their character. You see how they react when the chips are down. And yeah, it's a little bit different from their normal happy-go-lucky like conversation. And it's, it's a deeper connection that sometimes you, you specifically try to ignore in everyday life. Not to say you need that in every movie, but in a great movie with uh, characters that are this far in the foreground... You need that really fleshed out because and then when that happens, you don't need it spelled out to a T, but I felt like they needed more than that because to me it felt awkward, it didn't feel genuine. And I could agree with some people who said, eh, you know, K2SO wasn't the best, that Cassian guy was kind of weird. You know, they could have had a, a friendlier, friendlier relationship. You never see Han Solo down-talking Chewbacca all the time. You know what I mean? There are times where, yes, he does do that, but then there are times where they're compassionate. Granted, we got three movies with them. I'm trying to think back just to episode, uh, or New Hope, where he, he backs Chewie up a lot. He goes, you know, no, you don't mess with Chewbacca. He'll rip your arms off. You know, there wasn't any of that. There wasn't, I didn't feel like it was a genuine camaraderie. Laugh it up, Fuzzball. I don't know. I got, I got a lot of camaraderie. I got a lot of camaraderie out of them. For me, the relationship was actually closer to that of Obi-Wan and Anakin in a lot of ways. Because Obi-Wan gives Anakin a 
ton of shit in episode two. Well, that was a bad movie. Let's not even get it. The comparing it to that, don't do that. Well, no, but I mean, like, the the overall tone of that relationship. Not all friendships are the same. You know, they, they don't have to be buddy-buddy. <laughs> like, the the way that I really felt about it was like, yeah, you know, they're, they're two guys who just give each other shit all the time. But they're still with each other. Because in some ways, they enjoy that argument. They And, you know, at some points, it goes too far. And, you know, like... They will tell each other to to shut shut the hell up, and that happens in the film, and we see that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's one of those things where you you, in my opinion, you still see that friendship and that camaraderie is still there, and that's why for me it it didn't seem weird or out of place with what happened to K two S O. I think a good example of the relationship where they're constantly busting each other's balls, you would look to something like the Big Lebowski between like the dude and Walter constantly busting each other's balls yet they care for each other they piss each other off but they go to great lengths to help each other out but i didn't get that at all from k2 and cassian it was just it was weak i mean i could see where they were going with it and there were some instances where they set up their relationship but it wasn't flushed out enough and i felt it was weak it was there but i didn't i didn't get it as much as like let's say you do and a lot of people that saw the movie thought there was a disconnect there as well and i yeah i could see that where they would that would be a valid argument nope don't buy it and i, I see where you guys have your points but in, you know keeping with what a movie and other movies i've seen not just their star wars movies i've seen it done better to where i actually cared in other films and it made those movies better now we don't need to know how like k2so and cheer it interacted we don't need that you know whatever lines they say to each other because they've just met that's something that's a relationship we don't need flushed out i'm talking about the core relationships for why people are there and who they are not the the nuance things that we see throughout the film that's that's fine now you guys trash talked bodie rook i thought bodie rook was fine why he's an imperial pilot he realizes he's working for a bad organization wants to defect he's scared to defect not a combat guy in the end, he takes command of the rebel saboteurs and gives his life valiantly and, you know, is scared to do the tasks at the end of the movie, but does them anyway. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's a hero and I felt he was fine. He was a minor character and we didn't really need a whole lot for him because he was smaller, but I would appreciate it more here and there. But I felt like Cassian, he worked for what he was. The issue that I have with Bodie Rook was that he wasn't a bigger character. For what he was, because he was a very minor character in the film, I, like, I personally was expecting him to be a much bigger character. That's why I said before, he didn't really work for me. But it's specifically because he's a very small character. As a small character, he did what a small character was supposed to do, and that was fine. I was just expecting more from him, I guess. I, I just never got into his character because his character gets basically his mind turned to mush by a uh, torture creature and then magically snaps out of it when he gets mentioned a few things he should remember i just didn't buy that turn i ain't buy that transition i could agree with that i mean i like the torture creature but uh, it was executed not the best and same with saw guerrera i mean forrest whitaker's probably one of the better actors out there his i've seen him perform great in some movies and terrible and others and you want you, you kind of appreciate what the editors and directors do because i think if force whitaker 
any bad movie he's in isn't his fault. The man can act. It's what is he acting in and what choices are they making in post-production of what takes to use is what makes or breaks his character. For Saul Guerrero, man, they missed a mark. He's he's an odd character. He's half Colonel Kurtz, uh, then he's an incoherent madman, then he doesn't care but he wants to fight for the rebellion and he wants to be this uber aggressive leader i mean he's just he's all over the place and we get very little screen time with him and a good character premise but i don't feel like he was executed greatly he just feels like a story device to move it along he granted he's not as bad as others i've seen in star wars movies or other films but out of all the characters in the movie he was the least enjoyable for me when I was expecting a lot from it. I, I will fully agree with you on that. I, I thought the way that they used Saul in the film was honestly beyond disappointing. Like, I think, you know, there's a scene in, not even a scene, but a, a voiceover that he does in the trailers, which is, what will they do when they find you? What will they do when they break you? If you continue to fight, what will you become? I want to say he said that to Bodie Rook, and if they had left that scene in, and that lead up in, I feel like both of their characters would have been fleshed out a lot more, because it would be, you know, really showing that, no, the reason why Saw is doing this is because he doesn't want to let this guy go and betray him, and traitors is the one thing that, you know, it seems like uh, Saul Guerrero really fe fears. I, I would have loved if they had a line somewhere about the Empire infiltrating Saw or something like that so you know why he does fear traitors so. But at the same time, you know, that's kind of a minor thing because you sort of get that, you know, in rebellions, traitors and sellouts are bad. Considering that, you know, there's an entire genre of Irish folk, uh, folk song dedicated to talking about traitors and knaves. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, trust me, we, uh, as a Southside Irish, uh, we kill those family members on site to this day, but, uh, yeah, you just, oh man, not enough screen time, uh, that line in the trailer was, was pretty good, and it, it kinda goes, it's not even in the film, who knows who he says it to, it's a good line, and it, it man, could it have worked, uh, somewhere in there. I think they changed him a lot in post-production, that's my opinion, they missed a mark with that, they just did. I don't know of anyone who can really fully defend Saw in there. Like, I, I think I think it's it really goes down to if you think that they they change their mind and they decide that they strictly want to use him as a story device instead of using him as a full fledged character. Yeah, and I, I it's one of those things where I'm not a professional film producer. I don't know what kind of trade offs they had to make in order for that to happen or what trade-offs they had to make but as a character saw didn't work as a plot device he works fine yeah i would have yeah if you're just need a plot device character get some low grade do not get forrest whitaker because forrest can do so much yeah and that's that's one thing where i'm a little bit happy that it looks like uh the latest episode of rebels forrest whitaker voices saw guerrera in it and saw is a major part of uh of that episode and i have a feeling he will be for the next couple and and so it's nice that you know in some ways I feel like Rebels is treating the way is treating Saw the way I was kind of hoping and expecting Rogue One to treat Saw and that was honestly like to bring a character from the Clone Wars and like I was really hoping for a bigger splash than what we got out of out of Saw Gerrera it was it was very much in a lot of ways like he was a cameo character 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can't defend anything that there was saw. I, I think Tom's right. This this was a editing decision more than likely, uh, probably because they felt the way we're led to believe is that Saul's character is extremist, militant. I mean, you have he has he's got a torture creature torturing people. I bet you they he was a bit darker, and they decided to lighten it. A Borgullet doesn't torture. Borgullet just makes sure you can't lie. Borgullet will know the truth. And I'm, you know, hey, I like me good uh, torture creature. I like Cthulhu as much as the next person. And uh, crazy monsters and weird abilities, that's fun. But yeah, that was just odd. And it didn't work. But uh, yeah, and then, uh, you know, we had Tarkin, I thought was fine. We all know Tarkin. Vader, Vader was Vader. Uh, they had to throw him in there. I, you know, when that hallway scene, though fine and funny to watch, I remember laughing just because, oh yeah, oh, he's fucking everyone up. But uh, did that need to be in there? No. But it was in there, whatever. It's not the worst thing in the world. But is that fan service? Oh, yeah, you better believe it. At the same time, like, <laughs> this this does go back into your interpretation of Vader versus my interpretation of Vader. And it's just like, my interpretation of Vader is, no, this was, this was a perfectly normal thing for Vader to do. Your interpretation of Vader is that this is, like, some bastardization of who Vader is. Oh, no, Vader in the movie w- thought was, you know, it was fine. They could have had him... You know, this is like we were talking about him being a lapdog, and this seems like something worthy of his time, as opposed to uh, going to Mining Planet B to increase production. That does not seem like a good use of Vader's time. But, uh, no, his fortress on Mustafar and, uh, you know, the infighting in the Rebellion, that was something we wanted to see. You know, that was the other thing. Oh, there's too many villains. Yeah, I could kind of see that. Krennic was kind of more of a whiny toady than an actual imposing force. You know, he was an imposing force to Galen Erso, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, he, he took orders from much better villains than he, and uh, when he died, I did not shed a tear. Yeah, I think, I think actually, if, you know, if we want to talk about characters that, that kind of missed the mark, Krennic was one that, that sort of missed the mark for me. And that's, I, I feel like that's in a large part because I read Catalyst. And I don't know how you feel about this, James, but... Agreed. I mean, I totally agree. Yeah, I read Catalyst, and I really enjoyed that, you know, Krennic was a thoughtful, smart, long-term planner with immense ambition. And I felt like none of that came through in the film. Ben Mendelsohn delivers the lines expertly, but I feel like what they had him do was very was very not where Krennic shined in the in the other pieces. Because the thing is is that Krennic is a master manipulator in a lot of ways. Like he is great at getting people to do what he wants them to do. And he's great at taking the long game with those people in order to make sure it happens. Like Galen Urso working on the Death Star project in any way, shape, or form originally before Rogue One, that was like a six-year process that Krennic undertook in order to get him to do any work on Kyber Crystals again. Yeah, and like you could I totally get that. That that's how he is towards like the average Joe, but he cannot go up against Vader and Tarkin. They just they run they run circles around him. Like he is he's out of his league when he deals with in, those in, two. In a lot of ways though, that is actually also the impression that I get from uh from whatchamacallit from catalyst like literally tarkin and vader are out of his league and that is not something that he accepts or understands well that came across in the movie yeah that part did but the the fact that krennic is an intelligent 
and ambitious villain and someone worthy of the name villain, that piece didn't come across because a lot of it, you know, and a lot of it actually really stems towards the first scene that you see Krennic with uh, Galen in that very first opening scene of the movie, the way that he deals with Lyra and with Jin and with Galen is kind of strange in a lot of ways. Because, you know, it's like, oh, I'm I'm so sorry to hear about the death of Lyra. And then Lyra pulls a gun on him. Granted, I mean, what are you going to do? And then he tells him, shoot her. <laughs> and then, you know, he gets shot. She dies. They He instructs them to hunt down the daughter. And it's just, <sighs> I don't know. It, it's, it's, in a lot of ways, it's really weird. I'm wondering if almost, like, it was made to show us that that long-term scheming and planning is finite it eventually will run out and he has been scheming and planning basically for 20 years be- uh, 20 25 years between galen and getting the death starper running and fighting off tarkin and trying to best tarkin and he's like i'm there and that's when it all starts falling apart you know what i i could maybe buy that but then if you take a look at the movie you get none of that and instead he's just He's just this kind of, in many ways, flavorless sort of imperial. Oh, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm, I agree with you guys fully. He, he was not fleshed out anywhere near where he needed to be to be a villain. Which, which is also a shame because Ben Mendelsohn on all of the actor panels, Ben Mendelsohn is one of my two favorite people on those panels. Your favorite's got to be the guy who accidentally says that his his buddy dies. No, no, it was, it was, so for me, it was really like, so my, like, I think, um, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting who they did a panel with, but they took Riz Ahmed, Alan Tudyk, and Ben Mendelsohn together to answer questions, like the most Googled questions about themselves on the internet. And they had, uh, uh, what was it? Diego Luna, Donnie Yen, and Felicity Jones on another panel. And the three of them had such a fantastic, like, comedic timing and camaraderie that it's really hard not to smile when when you hear Ben Nelson talking about being, you know, director Orson Krennic. And I just felt like, if anything, I wanted significantly more Orson Krennic in the movie. And 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 we just didn't get it. Riz Ahmed, he's a funny guy. I saw him in interviews. He's, uh, whoever he was paired with, you know, they were cracking up. Yeah, every time, like... It, like every time Riz Ahmed's doing things with like Alan Tudyk, because they did a lot of random stuff together in terms of like it, with Twitter videos and that kind of thing, the two of them along with Gareth Edwards. And every time Ben Mendelsohn shows up, like he's he is so gracious and so so entertaining as as an interviewee that it's it's great. But uh, it's all just kind of goofy sometimes. But yeah, like Krennic. Uh, I I really wanted more Krennic in that movie, and you know you know who's another character that I felt like they really fucking dropped the ball on Lyra Urso. Like holy fuck! Like she was a fantastic character in Catalyst. She was a strong character. She knew what she was doing. You know, she she in many ways like had had a strong idea for what was right, what was wrong, and as opposed to getting any of that, she just gets shot. And I don't know. That wasn't something that, I don't know, I don't feel good about how they treated Lyra specifically. Because, like, she, that had an opportunity to be another really neat character. And they just took it down. 
she was something that just moved the plot along, reaffirmed some things with Jen. They could have used her better to help build Jin up more, you know, uh, instead of setting up that Stardust thing for the ending. They could have helped build her up. But yeah, I mean, Jin's mom, not so much. They could have done better things with Jin and uh, her dad if they were going to, that was going to be the focus. And Krennic wasn't, like, terrible. You know, a lot of these characters weren't like, oh, God, I hated when they were on screen. It wasn't like any of Yeah, the that's shit. very true. You know, it, yeah, they missed their marks, but, oh, my God, it was not like other films I've seen that I was like, dear God, this person, why did they cast them? Or who wrote this dialogue or, you know, anything like that. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit, of, a bit of fan service, which they could have scaled back and made a more well-rounded film, in my opinion. Yeah, for me, you know, it's not even that I think that they the characters were particularly, you know, that they missed their marks either. For me, it's more of just like there were there were opportunities here that that weren't seized, which is which is a shame. It doesn't make the film bad, but it's kind of like, yeah, you know, I would I would love to have seen more about that. But I, you know, I've I've got a really like random question regarding all of the star wars movies is there any star wars character from the films that you feel like you know what i don't need to know any more about you i'm i am okay knowing no more about your character's story boba fett i you know i kind of agree i i don't i i get what boba fett was but uh, i don't need any more about it i never cared for him yeah, I mean, there's that whole mystique around him. Let's keep that mystique alive. Did he survive? We'll never know. He went off into the sunset, maybe, and that's that. Dave is crying right now. No, I mean, I, I, I get and understand that, frankly. For me, I think if I had to pick a character, it would probably be, it would probably be Jar Jar Binks. And and the reason for that isn't isn't because you know, in many ways, he's kind of a little bit of a racist character. But it's really that you know. <laughs> as opposed to so many other people in this in this movie universe we actually understand jar jar binks's motivations they're just not particularly deep you know and he's he's a as as an individual person like i would probably be friends with jar jar binks he seems like a nice guy somebody cut his mic at the same time it's just like why why do we understand more about why Jar Jar Binks does what he does than we do I don't know Watto. <laughs> you know or you know Jin Verso for that matter. <laughs> oh I know I know I, I, I yelled at him for doing it earlier, but uh and that was the other thing too. I think the problems we we're talking about with the characters in this movie are 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 better problems to have than like the ones with the force awakens where a lot of those characters they were either off or we didn't know why they were doing what they were doing or we got we saw them doing the things that built up their characterization but i didn't care about their characterization where the character what they're doing with it was not something I either agreed with, liked, or understood completely. So this, to me, are problems of a higher-grade film than, like, The Force Awakens, which is a bit lower-grade, where a lot of the main characters were, uh, I didn't really get why they were doing what they were doing, or they did things to directly contradict what they were doing. It was just odd. Where in this, it was more, why are they doing this? It's this reason. Okay, fine. Well, why are they like this? Well, for this reason. Well, what else? Nope, we're moving on. You know, but... It made sense. It just could have been flushed out more, and in turn, you care more at the end. Maybe, maybe not. You know, it's all in—it's all your opinion, man. It's just your—it's just our opinions, man, too. Yeah, and uh, you know, I 
like those red letter media guys, I disagree with them. Am I going to unfollow them or write them vicious hate mail or anything? No, I just, just, I just disagree, you know? Yes. Please don't stop listening to us. If you disagree with us. Yeah. I mean, it's, I like conflicting opinions. I don't know why people just, you know, get so vehemently angry, you know, when they, they like the force awakens. I'm like, well, that movie was a piece of shit, but I wanted to hear why they liked it. And I'm like, yeah, I can agree with it. And a lot of it comes down to taste. What do you like? What don't I, you know, I like Dune, a friend of mine, not the biggest fan of Dune. He just, it's not his cup of tea, but he says, yeah, it's good. It's just not my cup of tea. And I'm like, I understand. I don't fucking punch him out or anything. If we could figure out how to get people not to argue over disagreements, our country and our world would be a better place. Until then. <laughs> Maybe if we legalize marijuana everywhere, everyone will just calm down. Hell to the yes. Another 420. James, what yeah, what are you on? clicking? <laughs> My bad. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go throw that across the room there. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, anything else you guys want to touch on? More sad news. I saw a trailer. They made a documentary about Carrie Fisher and her mom. It was on YouTube uh, where, you know, they live next to each other. They would hang out all the time. And uh, they just they shot a documentary about them about a year ago. And it's just coming out, like, I think in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think so. They did. And, you know, they both died so suddenly they're debating whether or not to pull it but i guess they're going ahead and you know it's it's a memorandum for both of them and it was about both of them being in show business because of course her mom was debbie reynolds singing in the rain and all that and she had a long career but uh yeah so anyway there's been rumors that they're i've seen articles saying that they're scrambling uh, for episode eight and nine now that they have to fix things and reshoots then i'm saying no everything's okay then i'm saying there's no word so i don't know there's uh but there's definitely room to speculate because we're getting no confirm i don't think anything from star wars themselves as of yet well actually like the, the all of the leaks that i've seen is that on i think it's monday like, there's a major meeting between uh, Colin Tra Trevorrow, I think, and uh, what was it, uh, Rian Johnson, about about how to deal with Leia, along with Kathleen Kennedy and other executives from Lucasfilm, um, to try to figure out what they're going to do, what options they have available to them, and how they're going to do things. Yeah, I, uh, oof. Who's to say if that's true or not, or what's going on, but... Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't envy anyone that has to make that decision right now, because that is, you know, from from the little that I've seen, it looks like Leia... Like, I, I think I was talking before uh, that, you know, it was kind. I was kind of thinking that, hey, maybe Leia doesn't make it out of episode eight, and they kill off one of the big three in each movie or something like that. But from what I'm hearing, Leia actually doesn't factor in very heavily to episode eight and was supposed to be heavily featured in nine. Oh, no. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. And so if, if that if that is true, then that means that things could be really, really tricky for how everything goes in nine specifically. Because uh, some like there, I think it was on. I'll have to double check, but I want to say it was in slash film or something like that. One of the things that scenes that they thought they were going to do was like uh, eventually a confrontation between Kylo Ren and Leia. Oh no! If they didn't Ugh. film it, Nate, it ain't happening. Yeah. Unless they, I was thinking of this. Do you think they're either going to do the Grand Moff uh, Tarkin route, or they're going to recast her, or what? What do you think they're they do? can't recast her? But, yeah, they they can't recast her at this point. I'm and honestly, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they figure out a way to adjust the story to like tone her back. 
because like as as bad as that is the the fact is that i i honestly i don't think that the technology is there yet for for performances like tarkin's and like um like they did young leia in rogue one for for nine i don't know if i'd want to see that granted it is like what four years away so i mean the tech might jump up there by then i just i don't particularly believe in it i don't really seem to care about the tech i'd rather them say fuck it we're gonna do it and tell the story apparently leia squealed with joy not leia wow carrie fisher squealed with joy when she saw her the fake leia on screen she's like oh that's awesome you know i th i think it might i'm not gonna speak for, for the fisher family obviously but she was uh, an interesting character, so she might be okay, beyond the grave, be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I did see that her urn is a uh, giant Prozac bottle or pill. Yep, yep, uh, yep. Prozac Which, bottle. It's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty funny. It's, I could see her not really caring. I mean, uh, she, when she roasted Lucas on something, she's like, "I have to pay you a royalty." Look at myself in the mirror. Yeah, they did sign away their likenesses. She apparently Disney also made fifty million dollars off of dying based on insurance. Yeah, that's they might end up spending all that on CGI. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure they're going to spend that and more. But you know, but you know what? I I admit that I would really rather I'd rather them tell the story. And if the story requires CGI Leia, I'm okay with that because I ain't mind CGI Tark. I would have been upset if he wasn't in it. If they already shot eight. And eight didn't really have much Leia, just just enough. But like Leia was supposed to have this confrontation with Kylo. I, I would still do it. I would be ballsy, do it. Yeah, who's? I mean, uh, we don't know the story yet to eight. We should. Rumors are these are more internet rumors that a trailer should be coming out around the time of the Super Bowl. We should be getting our first teaser. Yeah, because that that was the same way that we got. I think the Rogue One trailer, I believe, right? Or we got a no. I think wasn't the Olympics. Or was that episode oh, seven? That was that was seven, I believe. We oh. got a we got a because uh, the Olympics was this this last summer. Oh, oh, then 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 it was seven during uh during a NFL season then. No, se seven was during NFL season, but it was like uh it was on uh, Monday Night Football. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking. Like it it's gonna be somewhere around coming up soon, probably then for eight. If I were Disney, I'd drop a trailer. That's big money. And then they would do their second teaser at uh four or five twenty or May fourth. Uh honestly, I you and know then trailer in the they just have not been putting things out things out on May the fourth for a while. I don't think that they're gonna change that. They didn't do it for Rogue One, but they have that big convention. Yeah, that that's the thing. Like they're they're gonna do it at the at the Disney Celebration, which I think is happening in Orlando this year, as opposed to last year's was in London, uh, and the Orlando one is supposed to be gonna be pretty freaking huge because I have a feeling that they're trying to rush things as fast as they can so that uh, the Star Wars land is open there as well. Oh yeah, they're. Kaching. If I had thousands of dollars of disposable income, I'd say let's the three of us go. But I don't have. I can't sell all my things to go. Nor would I want to. Because you got Disneyland's retarded. I've heard people getting like a banana with their breakfast and the banana costing two dollars. And I'm like, isn't this fucking Florida? The orange juice is three dollars at breakfast. It's like this fucking Florida. You kidding me? Orange juice should be flowing from taps. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I talk all that shit, but if they were like, we'll, we'll let you be a janitor here, I'd be like, hell yeah. 
Give me that thirty grand a year to sweep shit. I'm there, man. If anyone from Disney's listening, we have a promising candidate. We can be bought and paid for. I will sell out in a heartbeat. Yeah, if anyone's willing to buy our uh, buy our positive reviews, we'll we'll sell. We will shill to our small base of <laughs> listeners for very little money. Oh my god. <laughs> I Independence have, is overrated. Yeah, I oh, ignorance is bliss. I say, but yeah, I, I, I just the more I think about it, the more I, I really want them to uh, say fuck it and tell the story because just because the actress dies doesn't mean that the character is dead. Well, that used to be the case. I mean, sometimes they would recast it depending on the movie and the character, but now, yeah, with the technology, that's that's not the case. So I don't know. It's uh, it might be a thing where they might killer depending on how the story is they're the only ones that know it and uh you know we'll have to wait and see but uh we'll keep our eyes on it and we'll discuss uh, any speculation that comes forward because that's what we do but uh yeah overall you know there these were some of the flaws we felt we saw in rogue one i played a little devil's advocate some of them some of them yeah i, I give to you but yeah it was a good conversation we, we, we hashed out some things Go ahead and follow us on Facebook at Coruscant Pulse, Twitter at Coruscant Pulse, and of course our Gmail, Coruscant Pulse at gmail.com. We are always looking for listener feedback, and please feel free. Let us know what you thought, what were some weak points of the movie. We'd love to go over those on air, get some other people's opinions from our from our fan base and our listeners. We love hearing from you. And until next time, may the force be with you. Have a good one, everybody. Adios.